Father, we want to thank you so much for what's already happening in your house in this place. You are our defender, our strong tower, our hope, our strength, our healing. You're our peace. God, I could go on and on about who you are and what you want to do in your place today. God, I pray for everybody here right now. Everybody lifting their hearts and minds up to you. God, I need you. We need you in this place today. God, speak through your word. Speak through your truth. Do what only you can do, God, and we will give you glory. I thank you for everybody here. The ones who are hurting, God, they're going to give their hurt to you. The ones who are suffering in some way, God, we, get, we cast those cares to you. We thank you so much for being there for us. Thank you for guiding people here today. It's not by accident. It's on purpose because they have a purpose. God, do what only you can do and we'll continually give you praise. We love you. We thank you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen and amen. You can have a seat, church. It is good, man, to be with you. Um, if this is your first time, I've met three or four of you already at the nine o'clock service. Welcome home. Super excited that you're here. Uh, I'll tell you straight up, if you don't know, um, I grew up in a small town, 1,000 people, about 1,200 actually, but Salem, South Dakota. In Salem, um, we love sports. I love playing sports, but we didn't, like, we didn't have peewee football. There was no uh, football in grade school or middle school. It was, it was junior high and high school. So, and I always wanted to play. I never, I, I always couldn't wait because I knew football. I watched it all the time. I'd watch the greatest team, the Dallas Cowboys play all the time. God's favorite team. You know what I'm saying? Praise God. Yeah. All four of you. Thank you. Um, so, but I, I love football, but I couldn't wait to get in the game. Could not wait. So when I was in seventh grade, I could go out, but I didn't go out in seventh grade. You know why? I weighed about 70 pounds in seventh grade, okay? So eighth grade came, and I weighed about 80 pounds. So I still didn't go out because I wouldn't be safe. But ninth grade, that was my time. 98 pounds. Yep, just pure 98 pounds. And I went out for football my freshman year, and uh, I mean, I was excited. I remember getting pads. They'd give us our pads. I went home. I got my pads on. I got in the mirror. I was like, that's kind of a weird kid. So don't judge me on that. But yeah, it was strange. But I remember just getting pumped up about football. And practices were okay. Scrimmages were okay. But I wanted in the game. Because I knew that, that this is the first step for me playing for the Cowboys someday. We knew that was going to happen. This is my story. Just let me tell it. So that was my goal. And uh, finally, the first game came. And the coach let me in the game. In fact, I was in there the first play. So we were kicking off to the other team, and I'd never played before. And uh, I remember thinking, this is it. I've arrived. And, we're, and the, our, my teammate kicks the ball, and we're running down, and it's kind of like slow motion, you know, and I'm running. And kid catches the ball, and he's running back, and he's running towards the sidelines. And one of my teammates is getting ready to push him out of bounds. And I'm just kind of like just spectating. I'm like, I didn't want to quite get in it yet. I was just kind of taking it in. So I'm standing by the sidelines, and the guy's getting pushed out of bounds, and I'm standing there watching it. And the next thing I know, uh, there's a guy who's probably 17 times bigger than me running like a freight train uh, towards me, blindsides me, knocks me about like 40 feet that way and down that way. I mean, it was like a cartoon, just right in the earth. And I remember like, it really hurt. And when I got up, there was like a chunk of sod the size of Rhode Island in my, in my helmet. And I, I pull out the sod and I remember thinking to myself, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Um, maybe this isn't what God has called. I, it hurt so bad. And I was just in a daze. And I remember thinking, so I'm not going to play for the Cowboys. 
Um, I don't even think I could play for the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. It was that bad. It was, it was sad. And I didn't want in the game anymore. That was it. I didn't, I was content being on the sidelines. The coach, he didn't want me in the game either. So it's kind of a mutual understanding. Um, but I, I remember like feeling the pain of football and thinking, um, this isn't for me. I played one year, barely made it through my freshman year. And that was it. But it's, but the series we're in, why I tell you that is because we're in a series called get in the game. In fact, turn to two people and tell them, get in the game. Get in the game. See, I wanted it in the game, but after I got knocked around a little bit or a lot, I didn't want it in the game anymore. I was content on the sidelines where it was comfortable, where it was safe, where there was no pain, where there was no hits. And, but here's my, here's my fear with a lot of us in life, okay? I think that there's a lot of us that were on the sidelines of life. Like, life is happening around us, and we see other people on the field doing their thing, living their purpose, having these seemingly great lives, but we're, we're kind of on the sidelines, almost believing we're in the game, but we're not. And because of the hits we've taken in life, because of the, the pain that maybe you've experienced in relationships, or, or through a coworker or a family member, or whatever the case is, all of a sudden we find ourselves not in the game, but we're on the sidelines. And, and life is kind of passing us by. And this is, I believe this because I've been there so many times in my life on the sidelines thinking I'm in the game and I'm not. And I wonder how many of us were really not in the game. We're just, we're just on the sidelines thinking we're in the game, but we're really not. This is, this is big. I'm so excited about this three-week series called Get in the Game. And the one thing I need to tell you about games, the one thing I need to tell you about like, like teams, it, it, it is a team. It's, 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 it's unity. That's what we're talking about today. And I can't wait to get into God's word. But before I do, I got to tell you about one of the greatest teams that I've ever watched, like on the television. Anybody familiar with the Chicago Bulls? Remember the Bulls dynasty? Remember Jordan? Like Jordan, like if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, I'm like, what's wrong with you? I mean, it's Jordan, okay? The greatest NBA player. Now you might say, no, 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 pastor, it's LeBron or Kobe. And I would tell you, you're wrong. Okay, you're wrong. We don't even need to debate that. It's Jordan is the greatest. But what made the Bulls such a dynasty is they were a team. Okay, now you see sometimes teams, they'll stack players and they'll put on all these superstars and they, they can't play together. There's no unity. There's no oneness. They don't play as a team. So that you got all these big names, but yet they can't, they can't do anything with it. The, the Bulls were different than that. See, Jordan was the center of the team for the, for the Chicago Bulls, but they knew how to play as a team. That's what made them so good. But what I loved about Jordan and, and what I loved about his style was at the end of the game, he wanted the ball. See, he wanted the ball when it was the last second shot to win or lose the game, he wanted it. And why I say that is because I think that there's times in my life, and maybe you can relate, where I would, be, I would defer. Like, like when push comes to shove and, and, and you're at a crossroads in your life, you're at a crossroads in your marriage or in whatever it is in your life, and you would defer. And you, and you would take the safe route and say, you know what, you take the shot. I'm not taking it. Jordan wouldn't do that. He'd want the ball. Did you know he lost more games than he won? He did last second shots, he lost more last second shot games than he won. But what's he known for? The game winning shots. Because he took the chance. Because he wanted not only in the game, but he wanted the ball. Oh, I'm excited about this series. I want us to grab a hold of what God has for you. See, we talk about purpose all the time. Say purpose. See, you've got a purpose, but I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that, there's, that, that fear and, and past hurts and hits along the sidelines and blindsided shots knock us out of the game. And we're content just sitting on the sidelines. But today, I know God is calling us back in the game. I know that he is. So I got to set it up for you. So in the book of John, like if you brought a Bible, somebody got your Bibles, that's awesome. I love that. Or a mobile app, go to John 17, okay? John 17, I'm going to start in the 20th verse. 
So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that starts the New Testament, okay? And if you don't have that stuff, we're going to put it up on the screen here when I, when I get to it. But this is so key. So, so the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of a man named Jesus. So Jesus, I'll set this up. Jesus is at the very tail end. He's having the Last Supper with his, with his disciples. The very next day, he would die, okay? The very ne- and he knows it. So he's going to die the next day on a cross. So the night before, he's having the Last Supper. And what I'm about to read to you, check this out. This is the last thing he ever really does collectively with the disciples. This is it, with all of them. And this is the last prayer that he prays. I mean, he goes to the garden right after this, and he prays kind of by himself. But, but collectively, this is the prayer for him and, and his 12 friends. This is huge. This is what he prays. Check this out. Verse 20. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So right there, we know that Jesus isn't just praying for, for, for John and James and Bartholomew, but he is praying for you and I. It's what he says. I'm praying for all who will ever believe in the message through these guys in the church. Verse 21. Lean into this. I pray that they will be one. Say one. I pray that they will be one. Just as you and I, Dad, just as we are one. As you are in me, God, and I I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So Jesus, let's recap. Jesus is saying, God, I'm in you and you're in me. We're like, we're like the same. We're, we're one and the same, right? So, so God, I pray that they're going to be like that too. Because if, they're, if you're like that and you're like that and we're all like in it together as a team, Jesus is saying the world, the people that don't really care about being on a church on a Sunday morning and they, they really, that's not a focus and maybe they're living on the sidelines, they're going to maybe know. It, they're going to believe in me because of the way they're acting. So because of the way that they're one, people are going to come to know you, Dad, and they're going to come to know me as your son. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me. Okay, own that. God, Jesus just said, he's given you the glory that, that, that God has given him. That is bold. So they may be one as we are one. He's hammering it again. It's so crazy. Like, Jesus, this is the last prayer you're going to pray with your best friends. This is it. You're dying tomorrow. And, and this is what you're, you're talking about, oneness and unity? He's not talking about how to witness. He's not talking about their faith or, or, or how to really uh, share. Or he, it's, it's one. He says it again. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we're one. I am in them and you are in me. The theme continues. May they experience such perfect unity. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, God, and that you love them, you and you and you, as much as you love me. So Jesus just said that he loves you as much as God loves him. This is huge. That is a big statement. So so we heard Jesus talk about oneness, unity, team, being in it together. Okay, all right. So we get the context of the prayer. And what the first thing that God showed me is like, we exist to lead people to Christ and their God-given purpose. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or you're, maybe you don't believe in, in what I believe about what the Bible says about Jesus, I love you and you, I'm 
I hope you lean in and keep asking questions. But I'm telling you, the people that don't believe, the only way that they're going to see God is through those of us that do believe. That's the, the greatest picture of God is going to be you and I. That's a tall order. That's what it says, though. The biggest obstacle that faces the church today, like, the biggest obstacle that faces Christianity or, or, or that movement that we want to see happen here, the, the greatest obstacle isn't, like, atheism. Mm-mm. It isn't public schools or political agendas. It isn't the government. It's not that. The greatest obstacle is us. It's Christians. But Christians, let me, let me add, Christians that would, that would claim Christ with their mouth, but their actions don't back it up. See, this is what's unbelievable to an unbeliever. That's what it is. See, when they see division, when they see disunity, when they see hatred or things like that, they want to run from anything that has to do with Jesus. They want to run from the gospel. But when they see love and they see unity, then we believe that they will know that God is love. They will know it through you and I. Boy, I don't always get it right. I'll show you that. But I'm telling you, that's how they're going to know. Some guy just brought it up again to me last week. He's like, Pastor, we got to get these Meadows bumper stickers, these decals. And I'm like, that's the second person that's brought that. I just push back on that. I'm like, I've seen some of you drive in the parking lot. Do we want that? Do we really want that? I've seen me drive. Okay, I, I was in Dallas just over a week ago. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how to put this. Um, <laughs> so I was renting a car, and... God's hand was on it right away, I thought, because the upcharge to get a sports car was, like, very cheap. I'm like, that's it? Like, like 10 bucks or something more? I'm like, yes, let's do it. Dodge Challenger and me are going to finally get together and look out. So I was, like, on board, and I rent this car. And, and it's so funny. I'm walking in the, in the parking garage with the, with the guy that's got the keys, and he's telling me about all these things about it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Give me the keys. And I said, I said hey, here, take my phone. And he's like, take your phone. I said, yeah. I said, get some pictures. I said, he's like, <laughs> he's like, what? And I'm in the parking garage with all these people renting cars, and I'm taking pictures of this car. And I'm, here's, like, here's a picture right here of me and the, that he took, me and my Dodge. And uh, I'm sure he's taking it, and he's probably thinking to himself, this guy understands that he's got to bring this car back, right? Like, it's not his car. But I, in, in that moment, it was my car. And I'm like, this is mine. And you might not ever see it back, buddy, as far as you know, so I could care less. But I, uh, I took this car um, about, about five minutes after this picture was taken, I was leaving the parking garage. 30 seconds, okay, 15 seconds after I left the parking garage, I was driving the wrong way down a one-way street. I kid you not. It happened three times. I, all of a sudden, I'm driving. I'm like, oh, there's a white dotted line. That's interesting. All of a sudden, cars coming both honk, honk. I'm like, oh, my gosh, through the median on the other side. It was unbelievable. So here's what's really sad. From that moment, I got on the highway, you ever driven on, I don't know if you ever driven in Dallas, Texas. My God, you want to go backwards in your walk with Jesus? Hop on the freeway there. It's unbelievable. Bumper to bumper, but not driving 20, 90. I, but not me. I mean, the Dodge Challenger, it goes up to 180. I think I topped out the weekend at 47. I was like, <laughs> I was freaked out. I'm, people are driving like I'm 117 years old. People are passing me. I'm three, sure they're thinking, why are you driving a Challenger? Don't worry about it, buddy. That's why I was freaked out. Uh, anyway, where's I go? Oh yeah, the bumper stickers. We can't have those, okay? I don't. It can't happen. If we do, I can't get one. But what I what I what I want you to know is this: If we're a church, a young church that we are, 
that are serious about leading people to Christ and their God-given purpose, if that is who we are, we have to be serious about unity. See, I don't think it's talked about enough. There are churches united around the world, you guys. Revival isn't happening in the United States of America, by the way. I mean, I love what God is doing here, but this is just the beginning. You want to know where revival is happening when it comes to the local church? In the Eastern world. That's where it's happening. Places that you probably think they aren't, they aren't even doing church. Oh, they're doing church. They may, have to hide. they may have to hide, but they're doing it. Revivals are happening in Korea and China. I mean, unbelievable. It, it, it's crazy what's happening. We talked about it at that conference I was at. It was, it's, it's, it's supernatural. And I, 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 want, I want us to taste that here in America. Because I'll be honest, we talk about sending missionary teams and, and being missionaries. Do you know who needs missionaries the most? Us. Do you know what other countries are doing? They're sending missionaries from Korea here. They, they, you know what they're thinking? Well, the, the America, they're the most lost country in the world. And you know what? They're right. They're right. It's insane. So how can we have the revival like, like they're having around the world? I want that. It's going to happen through unity. Jesus said it. It's going to happen through teamwork. Jesus, I'm gonna, let me quote what Jesus said. So that the world may know through your unity that the world may know that God, you sent me and you love them. When the church is unified, God will be glorified. When the church is unified, God will be glorified and the world will never be the same. It won't. It'll never be the same. See, the world drastically changed 2,000 years ago when the first church began. It was like none other. They were unified. I'll show you. Remember what Jesus said? Hey guys, be unified, be one. Be, be, as I'm with my dad, you be with each other. So let's see how the disciples did, should we? Oh, by the way, I'll tell you this. Battleborn, this series, this series that we did for eight weeks, is that right? Yeah. So we talked a lot about our enemy in this series. We have an enemy. So he wants to kill, steal, and destroy anything about you. He wants you on the sidelines pretending like you're in the game. He wants, you, he wants you thinking that you're making a difference when you're not. That's what he wants. So just because Battleborn is, is the series that's done, we can't forget that we have an enemy. And the enemy's attack, Satan is his name, his attack to the first church, you know what he did? He tried to attack it from the outside in. So when the, when the first church started, here's what the devil did. He started to send people to oppress it and persecute it. That's what he did. He'd send people to arrest the early Christians, to kill the early Christians. But guess what? What the devil meant for evil, God used for good. Because that oppression and that persecution caused them to spread and, and run to other areas. So they couldn't get comfortable just in Jerusalem. They had to start going out. And they had to start going up. And they had to start going over to, to spread the church. So then the devil had a new strategy. And it's a pretty good one. He's good at what he does. So his strategy now, it's not so much to do it from the outside in. It's to do it from the inside out. It's what he wants to do. He knows that if he can get inside the bride of Christ, the church, if he can get inside and cause, Jesus knew it. That's why he talked about unity. If he can cause this disunity, he can cause disruption, he will start to spread a cancerous disease from the inside and it will spread outward and kill any movement that would ever have a chance to start. That's what he wants to do. And we need to know the stra his strategy before we can get after him and defeat him. So I, I just want you to know that. So th that's so key that we catch this. So how did the church respond? Jesus prayed the prayer in John 17. He then would die on a cross. He would rise from the dead three days later. He would ascend up into heaven physically, send his Holy Spirit supernaturally to be with the first church. Now we pick it up. The guys are meeting. It's the first church. How are they doing with the unity thing? 
Acts 4.31. Acts is the book right after John, okay? Acts of the Apostles. Action. They're taking action. In Acts 4.31, before I read the 31st verse, let me set it up with uh, verse 24. This isn't up on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Then all the believers were united as they lifted their voices in prayer. If you missed last week's message, I, I pray that you will go back and listen or watch it. It is on the power of prayer. And I'm telling you, what happened between verses 25 and, and 30 are a prayer. They are praying a bold prayer. It says here they were united. That's key. They lifted their voices in prayer. They pray a bold prayer to God. Listen to what happens. Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place literally shook. It shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit wasn't just around them. The Spirit was in them. That is a game changer. Then they preached the Word of God with boldness. All the believers were united. There it is again, united in heart and mind. Boy, there's power in unity and in team. They felt that what they owned wasn't even theirs anymore. There is no me or you, it's us. We're in it together. So they start to share everything they had. They testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the key of Christianity. If you, can't, if you don't own anything else about the Bible, own the resurrection. If you can believe in that, well, you can be saved. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and God's great blessing was upon them all. Why? Because they were united. That's why. That's why he was blessing them. Jesus said, I pray for oneness. I pray for unity. As I am with him, you are with each other. Jesus said it, and they're doing it. And God is flowing. It is a revival like that's happening on the other side of the world. There are no needy people among them. I mean, this is when the church is unified. Oh, God will be glorified. The world will never be the same. And one huge way we know that this first church was unified was the way that they shared and cared and gave. That's not natural. That isn't our, our, that isn't our first reaction. Our first reaction is to do this. Our first reaction is to like not, not be selfless, but more selfish. I know that's me, but that's not them. That's not the way they were. They, they wasn't mine, it wasn't yours, it's ours. Who cares? That, that, can I pause for a second and tell you? It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about where, where Meadows is right now and how we're poised. There are more people in our church, like if you look at percentages, the people that are giving, I mean giving their time and serving on dream teams, giving financially, it's insane. It's crazy. Every time I see a new person, I don't even know them. I'm like, they're, they're, they're investing in the greatest thing that they could ever invest in, in my opinion. And I don't say that because I'm the pastor. If you never give a dime to Meadows Church, I will love you. I'll walk with you. But I am telling you, when you invest in the local church like they were invested, everything that the world offers, temporal. Everything. Everything that you invest in here, 203 people have given their lives to Jesus Christ in our church. That's what you're investing in. That's what it's going towards. It's incredible. And I'm like, that's, they didn't care. It's like, take it. And you know what else about the early church that excites me? And this is what I really want to get about because you're going to hear me talk about Acts a lot. That's the first church movement. If, if any church ever got it right, it was them. And they got it wrong a lot. But they, but the church is people and we're jacked up, right? Tell, tell your neighbor I'm jacked up. Just tell them I'm jacked up. It's okay to say jacked up in church. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I, I am jacked up, Casey, but you're worse. I'm just kidding. So, um, so anyway, so they were messed up. But, but here's the thing about the first church. It wasn't, church wasn't like a place that they went. 
It wasn't some little segment on a Sunday morning. It was bigger than that. There was such, it was such unity. It was, it, was, it was a lifestyle. How can I say it? I don't think Paul and Peter, there were, I don't, can you imagine them having a conversation? Like, like Peter's like, or maybe Paul's asking. Paul's asking Peter, Peter, hey, where are you going to church on Sunday? Peter's like, well, I thought I'd check out the First Baptist Church of Christ over on Camel Parkway. You know, it's a new one. It's great. Things are happening. By the way, sometimes in big cities, I see multiple First Baptist Church. I'm like, well, one of y'all's a lion, okay? Everybody can't, you, you're, somebody's not first there. Anyway, that's a side note. So, but they're having this conversation, and Peter's like, oh, the kids' ministry, I love it. And the worship team, I know the songs, I can relate to them, and it's great. And the pastor, he, he's not one of those weird pastors that says, hey, turn to your neighbor and say this. I hate when they do that, you know, so you don't have to worry about that. It's awesome. It's great. And Paul's like, Jane, that sounds good. I'll check it out. I can't this weekend. Paul Jr. is in a soccer tournament this weekend. But next weekend, I'll check it out, right? Then I'll go. And then I'll get in. And then I'll see what's going on. By the way, Peter, do they have a single, singles ministry? I'm just saying. Paul's a single guy, you know. Match.com didn't work too well for him. But he, you know what? It, when I was single, I can't believe I wasn't going to the church and looking for girls. That's the best place to find somebody. I should just have all the single people raise their hand right now and help each other out. And, you know, I'm here to help you. I am here. I, you know, your pastor's looking out, got, got your back, I think. So, um, the church, it wasn't, it wasn't a place they went to. The church was who they were, okay? It wasn't a building. It wasn't a program. It was literally a group of people committed to Jesus, committed to each other, like literally the bride of Jesus Christ, that you are the bride of Christ. You are the church. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. That's what it says. There's power in the church. It's way bigger than a room or a building. That ain't the church. This is the church. That's who they were. That's what they knew. But it's a big privilege and a big responsibility. What if I told you that the, the church was God's plan to save his people. You might say, wait a minute, pastor, I thought Jesus Christ was God's plan to save his people. Well, Jesus is the, is the sacrifice that saves the people, but the church is the plan to carry it out, okay? Does that make sense? Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that saves us, but the church, the local church, is the plan to carry that message forth. That is the bride of Christ. Story, there's a story, I'll read it to you, of, Gabriel, an archangel, and Jesus are having a conversation. Gabriel's like, Jesus returned to heaven. Remember when I said he went up to heaven? He ascended into heaven. And Gabriel's like, hey, Jesus, how'd it go? Did you complete your mission? Did you save the world, Jesus? To which Jesus said, well, yes and no. I mean, I lived a godly life, modeled a godly life for 33 years. I died for the sins of the world. I burst forth from the tomb to defeat sin, defeat death. And then I persuaded a small little circle of frightened disciples that my life and my story were true. I mean, I gave them my Holy Spirit, commissioned them to be my church, and then I left for them to finish the work. Gabriel's like, wait, wait, let me get this straight. You, you, the, the, the whole plan to save the world depends on a church full of former prostitutes, misfits, and rejects. And Jesus is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gabriel's like, well, what, what if they fail? I mean, what, what's, what's the backup plan? What's plan B? To which Jesus said, there ain't one. There is no plan B. Turn to two people, tell them, you're plan A. Tell two people, you are plan A. 
You're it. You're it. Not just the pastor who preaches to you. You are the church. You're it. That, I love it. God's grace to use people, broken, fallen people like you and I, as a plan to get in the game, to literally rescue the world from the grips of, of the evil forces, that almost sounds like some majestic, made-up, you know, movie. It's not. This is real-life stuff, and we're it. I'm t- and there might be someone, you might even be watching online. Maybe you're watching online, and you call it church. And I'm going to lovingly tell you, it, it isn't. Okay, watch, and I love, if you're watching online, I love you, but if you can get to a local church, you need to get to a local church. Because watching a message online or downloading your favorite pastor, he ain't your pastor and that ain't your church, okay? It isn't. This is, the church is a group of people. Like, it isn't some religious organization. Like, some people will push back, I don't need the church, it's me and Jesus. Well, I agree, you don't need no religious organization, you don't. But you desperately need a group of people. Broken, fallen, jacked up people to walk with you and you walk with them. You do need that. Jesus died for people. Not for some organization. He died for people. And that's why I just lovingly tell you that. I I just, I'm so sold out to the church and you'll find out why if you don't already know. But I'm telling you, the more I studied the church, I didn't get it growing up. I I made that excuse all the time. I don't need the church. I got to be in Jesus. That is the most unbiblical thing I could say. That's insane. It's the bride of Jesus Christ. But you're saying, screw it. You don't need that. You you love Jesus. But Jesus died for the church. But you don't need the church. but that, that's, that was my logic. But it was, I was selfish. Still am some, many days. But it, it, the church. I wrote this down. The church's potential. When I studied the first church, and I studied the church in Acts, and I look at what God wants to do through this ragtag bunch of people like you and I, the church's potential is unlimited. It literally comforts the grieving and heals the broken. I've seen it, and you have too. It builds bridges, not walls. At least it should. Bridges, not walls. And it offers truth. Say truth. It offers truth to the confused, provides resources to those in need. It opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction. Just ask me, I'll tell you. It frees the oppressed. The church united is an unstoppable force. And I'm telling somebody, we are that church. It's us. At least God wants it to be. That's what he wants. This is the church. It is messy. People are messy. But I I say play in the mud. Step into the mess. Let's have a party. It's going to get crazy. I love that. There's pain. Like the football game I talked about. There was pain in the game. I'd rather sit on the sidelines. That's crap. God wants you in. Well, I've been hurt. You might get hurt again. But you'll never live life if you don't get in the game. And set yourself up for purpose. And for meaning. That's what, that's what Jesus died on the cross for. So that you might live out your purpose for him. It's huge. Jesus said, you'll know my followers by the way they love. You cannot love each other if you're not connected to each other. Okay, that's impossible. Well, they don't believe what I believe. That's exactly why you should love them. Oh my God, Jesus said it. Anybody can love somebody that loves you back. Oh, they believe what I believe? Well, I'm a Republican and they're a Republican. Who cares? Love is loving people that are not your political party. Loving people that don't believe what you believe or live how you think they should live or vice versa. That's love. That was the first church. That's what made it so attractive. I remember when I moved here two years ago, I met a guy. 
he grew up in North Omaha, and he talked to me about living a gang life. And I'm like, I was intrigued. I mean, Salem, South Dakota, there wasn't a lot of gangs. I mean, I stole a candy bar once, but that was about it. So um, he's talking about gang life, and the more he talked about it, the more I'm like, dang it. I was like, they, they were like a family. It was like 24-7. They were all in. The loyalty. That's what made it so attractive for him. That's why he didn't want to leave. And I'm like, that's the church. I mean, minus the murder and the drugs. You get that, right? But there are times, I, um, whatever, I won't go there. But the gangs, the more, the more he talked about it, I'm like, they, they get it when it comes to family. I guarantee the gangs in Omaha or anywhere else aren't shoving their gang like life into a, like 70 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's not like, hey, bro, you going to gang today? They ain't having those conversations. They, they ain't, going, ain't going. I am the gang. I am. The, it's family. This is the key. People that ultimately will leave the church or disconnect, they never got connected as a family. Family's hard. I'm not going to lie. I mean, can we be real here? Holy cow. Family is one of our core values. And it's probably the scariest. My gosh, I love my mother. Love her. 77 years old and works, just works like crazy. But I'm telling you something. If she texts me one more time at three in the morning telling me what she had for dinner, I'm blocking her, okay? I'm blocking her. It's family. You've all got a crazy uncle, psychotic brother, weird cousin. Everybody's got one, don't they? Now, some of you are like not agreeing, okay? I guarantee you got one. And if you don't know who it is, well, I bet they know who it is. Just saying. So, yeah, they have, everybody's got one. Family is difficult. I wrote this down. Family. Sometimes it doesn't feel natural to commit to loving people that aren't like you, does it? Like it's difficult. I said earlier, you don't believe what I believe. You don't, you don't, you don't follow what I follow. You don't, whatever, vote how I vote. You don't agree with the way I live. So what, you're going to reject them and just, that, that's a great way to love somebody. Or are you going to step in and maybe sit down with them and love them and they love you and you do life together and allow God to do what he does. Jesus is pretty good at changing lives. We don't do it. We, get the, we make the mistake and think we, do, we don't do it. Jesus changes people. We're called to love. We're called to love the people that are hard to love. We're called to love the people that are different than you, that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't act like you. Those are the ones that we're called to love. You'll know my followers by the way they love. And if we only obey when it feels natural or comfortable, I don't know that we can call ourselves a follower of Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't know how we can. I don't love that. I don't love them as much as that. Really? I don't, I've never heard Jesus say, I don't love you, woman caught in adultery. Yeah, I don't love you quite as much as I love Peter. He loved them both equally, sacrificially and unconditionally. That's what we're called to do. Listen, the church in America isn't gaining a lot of ground. I won't go through the stats and bore you with it. I was at our district conference. It's painstaking. Oh, by the way, Meadows Church, we have, we have 66 districts churches in our district. You probably don't care about all that, but out of the 66 churches, Meadows has, has grown the most over the last year, and, and it excites me because we're really, I, I think we're really loving people and getting in lives and really being authentic and real, and I love that, but I want every church to experience growth and love and, and revival like they're having over the other side of the world. God, 
but, but, but I hope you don't feel like I, I'm, I'm saying you got to be perfect. You don't. My gosh, I talk about loving like family and loving the people that are hard to love. I'm gonna, I'll tell you a story. I debated, but because I always promise to be real. You can't judge me for this. Don't leave the church after I tell you this. Um, here we go. I, uh, I go to a place a lot during the week to prepare and stuff. And this week was a crazy week. And I was behind schedule. So I'm getting ready to leave. And I got my, my books and my Bible and everything and my computer. And there's, the, there's people there that a lot of times they'll stop and they'll talk. And I love that, you know, I'm a pastor, relational person, but it's busy. I had to go and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. They're going to stop me and they're going to want to talk and all this stuff. So what does your pastor do? You ready? So, <laughs> so I get up, grab my stuff and I'm like, oh, I got to get going. I got to walk by them. So as I'm walking by, I grab my phone. I'm like, hey, yeah, Jim. Yeah. I, oh, yep. Yep. I have a conversation with nobody. No, okay, now don't you judge me. You've done it. I know you have. The fake conversation to avoid somebody? Yeah, this week. I'm like, okay, God, I need to do a heart check, right? So I say that because I'm, I'm with you in this. And some, it's hard and we have our schedules and we have our things and we've got, but boy, when we get so busy. So I'm in it with you is what I'm saying. What if we took God's description of the church as a family seriously? What would happen if a group like us pursued Jesus with unity and love? If we opened our hearts to others, loved one another sacrificially, and shared the gospel boldly? What if we, you and I, got so excited about what God was doing in our church through us? When I say our church, I'm talking about you. Okay, you know that, right? I ain't talking about the Beardmore Event Center. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about you. What if we got so excited about what God was doing, like we couldn't shut up about it. We couldn't stop inviting. We couldn't stop tweeting. We couldn't stop posting. That's how they were in the first church. I was a campus pastor in Sioux Falls. I'll never forget the time. And I wasn't even giving the message. It was on a screen. I would close it and just, I was supposed to get up and just pray for people, but I get up there and start spitting on people. You know me, it's just terrible. And I'm, I'm spitting on people and getting all excited because of what Jesus did in my life. And a woman comes up to me afterwards and she's like new to the church. She's like, I don't know, pastor, you're kind of loud. I'm like, me? she's like, you're kind of loud. And um, you know, you get excitable and that's not what she's used to. And she's like, I don't know if this will be the church for me. And I, I told her, it's probably not. I don't, I'm not going to, it's probably not. Honestly, it's not. There's, if you want churches that where you can just sit and be quiet, I'm, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's different churches for different people. I'm not saying it's all got to be like this. But I'm just saying, ma'am, if, if that's what you're looking for, you'll find thousands of them. Go to the next one. You'll find what you're looking for. I promise you. But you just won't find it here. And I kept thinking to myself, gosh, dang it. Is it me? Am I not supposed to be? But I can't, can't, can't not be that way. And I don't know her story, but I know that she probably, probably never been addicted to drugs, probably never been down a wrong path. I don't know. I have. I've been miserable. I've been broken. I've hurt people. I still do. And I've been in horrible places. And I'm, I'm sorry, but when God lifts somebody up out of a freaking pit and sets them on solid ground, I can't help but get a little bit excited about my Jesus and shout about it. So I will. I will, and I won't stop. I'm not going to stop. I can't. You ain't going to get mad to shut up about the church. You maybe don't know him. I do. A gentleman in our church has literally been transformed through the church. Went from not believing to believing. Well, that's the goal. I will never forget meeting Matt and his wife and then Matt wrestling with faith through the church. The church. 
And the morning he texted me three words. I am saved. Can you, I saw the text and I got on my knees and I gave God glory for what he's doing in his life. You know what I can tell you about Matt? You can't shut him up. You know how many people Matt's invited to the church in three weeks? A lot. I don't even know how many, but a lot. You know what Matt's going to do in a few weeks? Get baptized. You know what Matt's already done? He's joined a life group. You know what Matt's talking about? Getting on a dream team. You can't stop what the church is doing when Jesus is inside of you. That's what I want. I can't manufacture it. I can't make it happen. Jesus does it. Oh, I want that so desperately. Listen to me. Family. Say family. Unity, family, oneness. You're not always going to agree with me. I won't agree with you. I promise I will love you. I promise you. I will lo I'll never stop loving you. I'll never stop praying for you. I will say things that will probably rub you wrong sometimes. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to do it purposefully. We don't have to agree on everything, but I, we gotta, we, the, the church has got to get unified. That's how a movement happens. It happens when we're in it together. It, it, listen to me, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized as someone old enough to make the decision, that's your next step. That is your next step. August 25th, Calvary Church. I love it. I love saying Calvary Church. I love Calvary Church. I love LifeGate Church. I love Christ Community Church. They're all preaching Jesus. I love them all. Great churches. Love partnering with churches. We go there and baptize people. Love it. Jesus didn't die for medals. He died for the church believe it with all my heart. I'll partner with pastors until the day God calls me home. I don't care. So if you've never been baptized, baptism tells the world that you're saved. It tells the world that you belong. Say belong. It's what your shirt says. It's what the wristbands say. If you don't have one, get one. That you belong to the body of Christ, the family of God. The gospel. The gospel changed Matt's life. Changed my life. I hope it changes your life. If it hasn't, God wants to. So I always talk about the gospel. I always talk about the good news. Rather than say it like I normally say it, I'm going to say it a little bit differently. What changed Matt's life that day that he texted me? It was the Holy Spirit working in him, just like he's working in you right now. The church, why I believe so much in the church? The church is what got to Matt. Ultimately, God's bride, you. And it got to me. The church stewards the only message, the most powerful message, life-changing message in the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will do it. I could care less about corporations. I love them. And if you're in the corporate world and you're a Christian, praise God, we need you out there loving people like Jesus loves people. But I, I sold out to the church because the gospel is the center of it, Jesus Christ. What's the gospel, pastor? You keep saying good news. Here's what it is. The gospel is about what God has done for us and what we can become in Christ. It's about a personal relationship. I'll say that again. The gospel is a person, not just head knowledge of Jesus. I believe, yeah, so does the devil. I'm to, do, you, do you know him? A personal relationship with Jesus being the answer to your deepest needs. The good news offers people what they're frantically searching for, what you're searching for, forgiveness. Freedom, security, purpose, love, acceptance, strength. 
it settles your past it assures your future and it gives meaning to today Jesus Christ died for you Jesus Christ rose for you so that you might get in the game and live for him will you give God 10 seconds of almighty praise come on somebody that's what that's what changes people I don't change them. You don't change them. Jesus changes them. He's the answer. So how do you get in the game? Commit to the team. Commit to your local church. Surrender your life to Christ. If you've never done that, do that today. Believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he died for you and rose for you, and that he's coming back again. Ask him to forgive your sins and make you new, and he will. Then let us pray with you. That's how you give your life to Christ. Baptism, I'm gonna say this again. Somebody, many of you need to get baptized on the 25th of August. If you believe in Jesus and you've never been baptized as a person old enough to declare it, that's your next step. Listen to me. Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross for us not to get in the game of life. The game of life is painful. The game of life is hard. We, I need you and you need me. I want to do it with you. I want to do it unified. It'll get messy. It'll get ugly. But I'm in. I got your back. And I want to do it with you. And I hope you will step in. I can't tell you what your next step is today. I can give you some ideas about baptisms. Of course, surrendering your life to Christ. My God, please do that if you've never done that. And the Spirit's working on your heart. Other than that, uh, for today, I, I need you just to lean into the Holy Spirit. Ask him what your next step is. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. This is what's going to change Omaha and way beyond Omaha. It's the church. Nothing else I don't believe will have eternal impact like this. Nothing. I love you so much. It's a blessing to be your pastor. I want to pray for you. Father, I, to hear you talk to your disciples and to listen to your prayer, your last prayer with them collectively. And of all the things that you could speak about, you talk about oneness and unity. God, I, 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 I don't watch a lot of TV, you know that, but every time I seem to turn the news on or anything like that, all I see is disunity. All I see is arguing. All I see is divisiveness. And then we wonder why the world is the way it is. Not, we need you, Father. But, 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 but as, even as I say we need you, you know what I hear you saying? You, you need us as well. Like, we're your church, we're, right? Plan A, isn't that us? Aren't you looking at us right now with Gabriel? Joking, saying they're it. There is no plan B, this is it. Meadows and every other church that wants to get bold about the Bible and bold about Jesus Christ that's going to stand up and say, I love you. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to talk like you or look like you. I just need to love so supernaturally that people are just so attracted to it. They don't even get it. Like, how can you love this person? Well, you know what? Because you love them, Jesus. And if you love them, we're called to love them. God, I lift up your people, your church today here. Help them take a next step, God. I pray that there will be people giving their lives to you there's no greater decision than that. That's got to be first. And once that happens, God, the next step, just like you were baptized by your cousin in the Jordan River, 
man, I want, on the 25th, we are going to party. And I want to do it with so many people, Father. I thank you for Meadows Church. I thank you for the impact that we're making. It might not be huge right now, but I believe that it, it, it is, there's momentum and, 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 and beautiful things. They, they start small, but God, we want it to spread like wildfire. Not because we're great people, because you're a great God and you deserve to be glorified. And people need to know Jesus. And I want them to not just know you, God, but to get excited about you. It isn't just a weekend thing. It's a lifestyle thing. We love you, Father. I thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, amen.